Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normia Vasquez-Scales, at your disposal. Restitution via Closure Dear John Monologues and Farewell Addresses Querida Warren I hope this message finds your soul at peace. Moreover, I felt inclined to pause and render you gratitude for gifting me with a suit of armor bearing the guise of resilience. I'm sure you're most likely you're most likely perplexed as to why I'm extending you such profound and, and such a profound and authentic thanks. Well, I've undergone an intensive, aggressive overhaul, spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, socially, domestically, and beyond. Yes, Maximo is also a constituent of this of this profound equation. Nevertheless. It's been an, an utmost profound and enlightening expedition. A chain reaction of epiphanies have unfurled virtually daily by virtue of incessant prayer and additional works, particularly an exercise pertaining to closure. This was under the tutelage of Ayan Mabangzat. Hence, among the myriad of revelations I realize that I don't loathe you as much as I thought it after all. I don't, I don't loathe you at all, in fact. Moreover, I now understand that our chapter in relationship and marriage was essential for this turbulent modern day era that I'm navigating. Basically, I acknowledge, I've acknowledged that the technological age encompassing gaming, social media, etc., paired with a COVID-19 pandemic, go figure, lots happening down here, induced another unsound matter due to a viral fallacy, a viral lie, that sheer, a sheer falsehood that our youth have nothing else to do. And that's a quote. A common Achilles heel from, from fellow parents. So they, our youth have allegedly our youth have nothing else to do recreationally. Adults are adopting a defeatist mindset by virtue of this linear and narrow-minded scope and enabling children to excessively game and screen themselves into oblivion. The oblivion of inadvertently being bred into addiction. Well, I know you know a thing or two about that. So. Being, we're breeding our children into addiction, thereby inducing a pandemic within a global health pandemic, evoking a mass generation 
of addicts, to say the least. I know this sounds harsh, to state it plainly. Upon digesting this harsh realization, it occurred to me that in hindsight, in 2020, go figure, the tumultuous chapter I'd endured was quite candidly my basic training. Yes, braving the storm, the ills, the flaws, the ebbs, the flows, the highs, the lows, the love, the, the altercations, theft, love, deceit, love, secrecy, love, etc., etc. Immersed in the brunt of a hands-on, I've been immersed in, a, in the brunt of a hands-on, in-your-face crash course in addiction, comprised of countless alcoholic, alcohol anonymous, narcotics anonymous, Al-Anon, Naranon meetings, you name it. I was, I'd been there per your suggestion, and I'm grateful. Every session, learning the profiles, the ins, the outs, the nooks, the crannies of addiction, the do's and don'ts of addiction from acceptance to denial to enabling. Yes, enabling. This all served as an unconventional um, post-secondary course. Hence, our short-lived, compressed, punchy, shared chapter functioned as my boot camp. My separation was, and ultimately divorce from your, from uh, divorce from you, labored as my graduation, and now I've been cast onto the front lines of an active campaign. The campaign to save our son, to spare our son Maximo. Yet, contrary to droves of the aforementioned parents, ignorant, ill prepared or dismissive of the the magnitude of screen addiction, of the screen addiction pandemic I've alluded to. I acknowledge, you know, um, that my immersive experience (laughs) on the battlegrounds of your addiction has prepared me to weather this war, to weather the storm. I have hope now, my optimism is paramount. My optimism has ascended to its optimal because I conclusively know now that just just as lush trees, plants, flowers, and foliage can emerge, they can emerge from infernal ravished terrain. <laughs> Something beautiful can emerge, can, may, shall, and will emerge from something catastrophic tarnished, devastated, or even destroyed. The ruins, beauty, in layman's terms, can emerge from chaos. Beauty can emerge from a brutal hurricane. Thank you for inadvertently girding me with the tools um, to weather this brisk interval with your grace. I understand now. I understand that the current times are riddled, shrouded with vast uncertainty, yet hope prevails. It will indeed be a daunting undertaking, Warren, a daunting undertaking, yet I will not go gently into its night, yet instead rage to transcend it.
paz y amor por siempre, mi amor. Mía. Well, welcome back yet again to another sprightly episode, ladies and gentlemen. It's been indeed eventful yet enlightening to say the least. My recent journey amid the tutelage and study of the renowned expert coach Iyama Van Zandt, coupled with extensive spiritual tasks, has yielded an array of epiphanies. Closure, however, is atop the list, which explains the prelude. The commencement of the mishandled episode featured a postmortem. I'm sorry, pardon me. The, the commencement of this of this uh, prior episode features a post-mortem letter that I actually just as of yesterday written to my ex-husband. It's very raw, it's very rough, it's unabridged, it's unedited, but my, to my ex-husband Warren, I thank the creator, Iyanla, my mother, my parents, all of my supporters, and Warren, nonetheless, for this cleansing notion to undergo this undertaking, the undertaking of, of scripting this letter. And serenity. I think, you know, I'm grateful for the serenity, that, serenity that's been evoked by this very task. I humbly implore you to do the same, ladies and gentlemen, who discover that it's profoundly therapeutic. I know I did. Now, without further ado, let's explore the findings of Inyama and another fellow author. So, pivoting, let's take a look at psychology today. So, basically abridged why we need closure from broken relationships how to move on when you have unfinished business with an ex this is by mariana bogarova phd but she notes that many times from pain students clients and friends she's bore witness to the mantra no one can give you closure but yourself it's usually said defeatedly while holding back tears after they've explained their former part, explaining that their former partner refuses to acknowledge why the relationship ended in the first place. The mantra unsurprisingly comes as a form of advice from well-meaning friends, family members, colleagues, striving to be sympathetic to someone who's stuck in a, in a turbulent situation, a toxic, a, a, a bad situation. That quote, bad situation is usually one that involves a, a one-sided breakup where the person dissolving the relationship has not acted kindly, decently, or even humanely in the aftermath. In an attempt to shirk responsibility and guilt, he or she refuses to give a former partner closure, causing the rejected partner party tremendous pain and distress. So the advice that only you can, you can give yourself closure is so prevalent perhaps because it offers the person who has been broken up with the illusion of control in a situation where realistically none exists. Those are the words of the author. So the premise is essentially correct. We are all responsible for our own lives. However, without offering proper guidance on how to find closure, it can serve to make things worse. This is because when someone is rejected and refused honest answers about why the relationship ended, they're left depleted of their dignity. Thus the advice to get your own closure infuses the notion that the person who has just been rejected is now responsible for moving past a decision they do not fully understand and therefore cannot psychologically reconcile and did not make and are thus insufficiently prepared to navigate. So according to phenomenolo phenomenology, phenomenal, 
Phenomenological research. Phenomenological research. Tongue twister. Closure is knowing that the reason a romantic relationship was terminated and no longer feeling emotional attachment or pain, thereby allowing for the establishment of new and healthy relationships. So the devastation that comes from a breakup is thus not only caused by the partnership that is lost, but also by the lack of clarity about why the relationship was dissolved. So why does knowing the reason for a breakup matter so much? Inherently, humans understand the world through stories. We create a past, present, and future and navigate our world through this cognitive structuring, pardon, pardon me, cognitive structuring. So most healthy intimate relationships generally have, most healthy, healthy intimate relationships generally customarily have a good sense of where they've been, where they stand, and where they're bound. Similarly, within the story structure, we have a good sense of who we are and how we feel within each part of the story, although this can change depending on our current mood when reflecting. When a one-sided breakup occurs, however, it dramatically interrupts the story for the person on the receiving end, particularly if the breakup is unexpected. By knowing the reasons why the relationship is faltering, the initiator of the breakup has already sorted out his or her story. However, the person being broken up with is thrust from being in safe psychological territory into an abyss, particularly if the relationship is apparently safe, secure, and serious. So a similar analogy can be made, for instance, when one discovers his or her partner has transgressed, transgressed the sanctity of the relationship. When given closure, we can restructure our past, present, and future in a healthy way through understanding what went wrong and reconfiguring our story accordingly. When we, we, when we are refused closure, however, attempts to understand what happened flood the conception of our past, present, and future. We are left to wonder, what did I do? How could someone I thought I knew so well do this to me? How can I trust myself to make future decisions when my past decisions have caused me so much pain, so much anguish? Without answers to why a breakup occurred, the way we view our reality through our past, present, future stories can become warped because we lose our sense of what we know about who we are and the trust that we have in, in our decisions. While this is, this is generally mediated by things like personality, social comparison, available others, attachment styles, and mood, not receiving closure can nevertheless be a, de a deeply traumatic experience. So how to give someone closure? Breaking up someone, parting with someone, I prefer to say, particularly when you believe the other individual will not, will not share the same sentiment is not easy to do. It is challenging to take responsibility for your true feelings and give honest, earnest reasons for the breakup, knowing that you're hurting another person who likely cares very much about you. Not only does closure mean you have to take responsibility for your actions in the relationship and potentially feel guilty for ending a relationship, but it also means you may discover aspects of yourself as expressed by your former partner that you may have otherwise chosen to ignore. So, nevertheless, in normal non-abusive relationships of all sorts, giving the true reasons as to why the relationship is ending is the kindest, fair, and honest thing to do. After parting, allow, your, allow the other individual some time to grieve the relationship while offering to answer any questions he or she may have during the grieving process. Create 
and to communicate your boundaries and plan to meet in a few weeks time if possible to answer any questions and to say a final goodbye how to give yourself closure if your partner refuses to give you closure after you have repeatedly asked for it ask yourself whether the type of person you imagine him or her to be would treat you with such indignity and whether the future you might have imagined together included this characteristic chances are your answer is no therefore you can begin to reconcile the fact that perhaps you imagine your partner to be someone he or she is not and forgive yourself for trusting someone who has hurt you you may find peace in confronting your ex-partner's hurtful actions by writing him or her a letter without expecting a response which you may or may not choose to send a specific type of writing research shows can be particularly effective in lessening post-dissolution distress examining the relationship through a redemptive lens wherein one focuses on the positive outcomes that arise from a breakup or a negative event writing about the relationship in this way over the course of four days has been shown to reduce the emotional suffering that can come from a relationship ending while friends and family might recommend getting closure through finding meaning from the breakup surprisingly research shows that in events such as marital separation actively searching for meaning and writing about it is not only ineffective but can cause actually cause worse worse cause worsen and lengthen emotional distress instead remind yourself of the following sometimes things just don't work out and there's nothing you or your partner could have done sometimes feelings fade there's no real reason for it and there's nothing you can do to salvage them it may be unfair it may be hurtful but you're you are okay lastly determine a goal that is challenging yet reachable and set forth in this way not only will your story change for the better but you can build a new one so those are that's the stance of mariana bocanova dr maria mariana bocanova i'll say but prior to closing i'd like to interject with Iyamla's recommendation, okay, which was the eye-opener for me. Um, she highlights it by virtue of a principle, the principle being closure. The principle we're working with today is closure, according to Iyamla. Her definition is a state of being complete through mental and emotional detachment, an act of an act or actions that bring to a close the nature and status of a relationship, a situation, or a relationship. So, an anecdote is included here. She says, he was dead. My father had died without ever having told me that he loved me. She was 30 years old, but it, it still hurt. She knew that she was hurting because uh, she was looking at her, at her deceased father in his casket without void of shedding a tear but remembering that he never told her that I love you everyone was was gazing at her everyone uh, she felt that she needed to be doing something besides remembering this unpleasant aspect of the relationship but the truth was that she said the most of our relationship had been unpleasant um, she was remembering that too okay so Fast forwarding, she spent the next several weeks trying to determine why she couldn't literally weep for her father. So surely she would miss him um, as much 
you know, she would miss, she would miss, miss him as much and she would not miss the hostility that always apparently existed between them. There was tension there because he died peacefully in his sleep. She says, I knew he had not suffered, but he had suffered. He had suffered through a life of unfulfillment and mediocrity. He suffered through the embarrassment of never being able to provide for his family. Yes, he had suffered in life and was now at peace. So in speaking with a friend, she notes, she says, when I explained to a friend how I felt, she told me that I needed closure. This is a quote. When you do not have the opportunity to express what you're feeling at the close of a relationship, the relationship is incomplete. It does not matter that the other party is no longer living. Without closure in any relationship, the people involved feel incomplete. Death, like separation, divorce, or the abrupt termination of any kind of relationship evokes a tremendous amount of emotion that must be released. The release results in closure. When you do not release, you wander, you hurt, the whys go unanswered and eventually create anger and fear. More important, her friend said, when there is no closure, you miss the lessons and the blessings. So Iyala's response to her was, when there is no closure, she says, when there is no closure, you hurt. How? I asked. Can you come to closure if the, if the person is no longer living? So her friend's response was to write a letter. The issue is not that the other person read the letter. The issue is for you to have the opportunity to express what you're feeling. I'd like to share this letter. Dear Daddy, this is the letter written um, in depth by Iyama Vansa to her late father. Dear Daddy, I know you're dead and that you will never read this letter, but it is my attempt to set us both free from the pain of our past relationship. I guess I should first thank you for being my father. If it is true that we choose our parents and that they consent to bring us forth into life, I do owe you my gratitude. I'm glad to be alive, although I'm not very happy about the way I have lived under your care. I don't want to point fingers or anything, but you did a pretty crappy job of caring paraphrasing, of caring and providing for me. I'm sure you knew from your own personal experience that your mother was unnecessarily abusive and still you left me in her care. Why did you do that? What was so important that you could not take care of me? You knew that she beat me. You knew that she screamed and yelled at and called me names. She told me that you were running around in the street with women and that you didn't care about me and you never told me any different. You stopped by, patted me on the head, gave me a few coins, and went off on your merry way, knowing that Grandma was torturing me. Why did you do that? Why? 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 Was I such a bad kid? Was I that ugly and fat? Were you ashamed of me, or what? Is that why you never came to school for me? Is that why you never checked my homework or read me a story? Is that why you never came to my dance recitals? Why did I? What did I ever do to you that you should treat me with such disregard? I was just a little kid. I didn't want to be ugly. You made me ugly. They were, after all, your genes. Do you have any idea how horrible it feels to be a little kid and have a father who acts like he hates you? I know you really, you didn't really hate me, but you sure acted like it. I also realized that your mother, being an, as ineffectionate as she is, probably never taught you how to be affectionate. It was your responsibility to learn. I was your daughter. I needed you to kiss me, hug me, hold me, and treat me like I was special. 
was I ever special to you, Daddy? Did you ever say to people, I have a little girl and she's very special? I sure hope you did, even though I never heard you say it. I must also tell you that on my bad days, I hope I hold you totally and completely responsible for my brother's destruction. I try to tell myself that he is responsible for his own life. I know that he has the same ability that I have to pull himself together and make something of his life. But I also know that people are different. He and I are not the same. Somehow I was able to move beyond the abuse, neglect, and dysfunction of our lives. My brother, your son, has not been that fortunate. He suffers every day. He is in so much pain, anger, and confusion that he sees no reason for living. Did you know that your son was an alcoholic? Did you know that he has been chemically addicted when he was 19? Well, of course you knew. The question is, what you what, what did you do? What did you say? Did you know that he was angry at you for all the things you did not do for us? He believed that gambling, women, and money were more important to you than he was. He, he needed a father to show him the way. But you were never home. You were always too busy, but you weren't too busy to criticize him or complain about him, about what he hadn't done, were you? Why did you tell him you would kick his blank? How can you say that to a 15-year-old boy that you, that you hadn't seen in two weeks? Who the heck did you think you were to say that? Say that to him. That is why he left home, you know. He's been a total wreck ever since then. I've always hated you for what you did to him. He, he is my only brother. He was there for me when you weren't, and as a result of your lack of care, lack of attention, lack of interest, he can't be there for himself. I absolutely, unequiv unequivocally, with no sense of shame, hate you for the pain you caused my brother. Did you love my mother? If you did, why did you bury her in an unmarked grave in the pauper cemetery? Why didn't you borrow some money? from your gambling buddies and bury my mother like a decent human being? Did you know that it took me two years to find where she was buried? She was buried in a grave with five other people, five strangers who did not know that she loved, loved you and bore your two children. What kind of man would do something like that to the woman he loved? Did you love her? If you did, why didn't you, why didn't you marry her? Why did you marry someone else while you were living with my mother? And why didn't you tell me any of this? Why did I have to find out the most intimate details of my life, my life's beginnings, from other people? Why did you lie to me? You were really a piece of work. I have tried to figure all of this out, and none of it makes any sense to me. Now you're dead, and I'm left here to sort through the mess. I have tried to forgive you. There are times when I do pretty well. There are times when this madness makes absolute, makes absolute sense. You did the best you could with what you had. I know you did not have an easy life. I know you tried your best to make things right, but when you saw they were not going right, what did you do? You ran. You hid, or at least that is what it looked like to me. You did not tell the truth. You did not ask for, for forgiveness. You never admitted you were wrong or apologized. Well, you know what? I forgive you anyway on my good days. On my good days, I realized that you have taught me a great deal. You've taught me what not to do. You've taught me how not to be. You've taught me the importance of being there for my children. You've taught me the importance of telling the truth and letting people know what is going on. In addition, you gave me the most precious gift of my life. You gave me stepmother, me my stepmother, my best friend, my angel. Without her, I don't think I would have made it this far. 
She was to me all that you were not. On my bad days, I hurt and I hate you. You want to know something else? Hating you makes me feel worse. It's hard to hate your father. It makes you crazy and I've been crazy for far too long. I want to be at peace now, just like you. So I'm writing to let you know that I'm, I will not have any more bad days. I will only have only those days that I can have compassion for you and, and forgive you for lying, for living, for leaving, for cheating on my mother, for abandoning me and my brother, and for, in every other way, not being the kind of father I wanted and needed you to be. As of this very moment, I choose to remember only the good things I knew about you, that you were handsome, that you gave me my first car, that you bought me a washing machine for my wedding present, and that without any doubt, you loved your grandchildren. I will remember how you cooked for them. I will remember how you let my son sit on your lap and steer the car when he was only two years old. I will hold the vision of you coming to my front door to pick them up on Saturday mornings and how you walked away with them hanging on your legs. You were an excellent babysitter and they really loved you. I know they'll miss you. Perhaps my children were still young and innocent enough to see the good in you. If I, if I hold the memories of you, and them in my mind. Perhaps one day I too will see your good. I want that more than anything else. If I can remember the love you had for them, perhaps I will see that you really did love me in the only way you knew how. I know I loved you and I guess I wasn't just like you because I never knew how to say that to you. Maybe now you will know it. I sure hope so. And she notes when I put the pen down, I cried for my father. So, I hope you've extracted, you know, the pulp of that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'd also, since we're sharing insight on closure, particularly through letter writing, more so than anything this episode, I'd like to close with an encore rendition of a farewell address, I'd like to call it, to a former acquaintance of mine. I hope this message finds you well as always. Grand rising, I should say. I hope this message finds you well as always. Moreover, I trust that this message is mutually well received. As a student, amid my self-overhaul, I've undergone vast and varied epiphanies, particularly as of late. Hence, the information I've been privileged with from vetted instructors is absolutely priceless. Truth, willingness, meditation, prayer, and faithful deeds have been profoundly emphasized and paramount nevertheless. In turn, this has spurred me to ponder a plethora of events encompassing those featured this past weekend. One incident embodies a lifelong friend of my best friend's husband, openly and shamelessly objectifying her in the presence of her husband. Hence, the man blatantly disrespected both my best friend and her spouse by annihilating boundaries coupled with the friend code itself. The other incident involves the latter phone call you and I had this past Saturday. Thus, it occurred to me that the common thread between both incidents was overindulgence. I dislike who and what you become when you're intoxicated. In summary, the subdued, level-headed, beautiful person that you are in your sobriety morphs into an unduly aggressive, demanding, boisterous, obnoxious, belligerent, and grossly unreasonable woman. 
You don't allow me to get a word in by virtue of over-talking me, dictating my verbal sentiments void of my wishes. This weekend was neither the first, second, nor third isolated scenario in which this is unfurled, simply stated. It's the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde complex akin to those in the throes and clutches of controlled substances in which I've had first-hand experience with in my marital chapter. Needless to say, the personality in person you become is stifling and energetically depleting nonetheless. Please don't misconstrue my stance in understanding that indulging socially or privately in alcohol is a norm in our modern society. In fact, nearly everyone within my circle consumes alcoholic beverages and spirits within reasonable limits. However, none, I do mean none of them, engage to the extent of apparent drunkenness and being inebriated. I trust, I trust the people they are to show up either in person, telephonically, or via virtual mediums. Despite whether or not they they or I agree or disagree, are in bliss or undergoing trials, feats, or shortcomings. We have an unspoken respect for one another to to interact civilly, void of aggression. I merely don't believe the level of respect I render to you is reciprocated. For instance, I vocalize my need to depart proceeding your birthday dinner, but you insisted on my staying beyond the balloon release to view a five-minute, one, fireworks lighting. Five minutes abruptly exceeded a half hour. Now, it was rightfully your birthday to have the company and itinerary of choice, but not to impose upon someone, myself, who voiced their need to leave the celebration. This is a recurring respect issue which I've alerted you of in excess of a year ago, and I have no room for it. Instead of respecting my wishes to gracefully bait you and your guests adieu, your demanding persona eclipsed and played the moment. However, this throws me off balance every time. I felt inclined to convey my honest, my honest, authentic, earnest sentiments, and wish you due blessings and safekeeping. Humbly and authentically, Normie. Well, there's power in writing. Self-monologues, ladies and gentlemen. Please, extra, extra, read all about it. Try it. Pen to paper can be some of the best ther- therapy. So I hope that you've gathered, you know, what it, you know, whatever you needed from this. That there was something that you were able to grasp and apply. It seems as though it's common sense, but in the words of an individual that that I recall viewing on a TEDx episode, common sense is not so common. That's Voltaire, by the way. And he added, especially when it comes to application. So let's not merely theorize and propose, but let's apply, ladies and gentlemen. Apply, I'm, I'm hoping... I'm hoping and imploring you to please implement, you know, these teachings, this council, you know, amid this platform, not merely today, but in prior episodes and subsequent episodes to follow. In the interim, I said I wish you all due blessings and safekeeping. I thank you and extend my utmost gratitude and appreciation 
to you for your listenership and humbly implored always, spanning and speckling the globe, all of you magnifying listeners. Last but not least, I thank you. My behind-the-scenes team, Bradley, as always, for your unwavering support. I thank and render my love and peace and serenity to you all. Until the next episode, this is Normia Vasquez-Scales, signing off. Thank you.